0: If you're joining us, we are glad to have you, glad you're part of our service today, wherever you're at. We are at the end of a series we started five weeks ago on achieving relational sanity. I mean, that sometimes relationships can make us feel like we're like going insane, like we're losing it. And so we want to, we've been talking about some stuff, actually some pretty challenging things. Uh, do, going through this together, we're going to close today's uh, series with talking about conflict. Conflict is not easy. We all go through conflict, whether at work or at home or at church. I mean, if you're in any long-term relationship, you're going to have conflict. It just goes. It goes. It goes with the turf, and particularly that happens like in our family, right? Who doesn't have conflict at some level in in, in your family? It reminds me of the. The old guy who actually lost his hearing, and he went to the doctor, and the guy said, well, I can try to, you know, he's trying to work with him on his hearing. After a few years, he gets him to hear again. He goes, you must really be happy, and your family, I'm sure, is real happy. He goes, well, my family, I haven't told him yet. He goes, you haven't told him? He goes, why? He goes, well, I've already changed my will three times. (laughs) So, I mean, uh, we all can relate to that. Like, we get hurt, right? People say things, and we... Uh, can find ourselves struggling with questioning their motives and all kinds of stuff. So we're going to talk about uh, conflict and how to resolve that. It reminds me of this, uh, I love this, by uh, the uh, former prime minister of, uh, of the UK, Benjamin Disraeli. He says, my idea of an agreeable person is a person who agrees with me. Now, that's probably, I mean, that's the easy way, right? Just to say, as long as you agree with me, we won't have any conflict. But it's more complicated than that. It's kind of up there with death and taxes, right? We all know that, you know, the two immutable rules is you're going to have, everyone's going to die and you're going to pay taxes. I'd like to add, and you're going to have conflict. If you're in an ongoing relationship, you cannot avoid it. We can try. We actually do try to avoid it, evade it, bury it, suppress it, Uh, but it becomes like, like, that's how these wildfires start, right? Just something real small, and it actually can spread underground. And then all of a sudden, it explodes into something real big. Conflict is like that. We don't handle that well. Uh, we don't nip it in the bud. We don't address it properly. It becomes a wildfire in our relationships. And it starts in a place that's not too bad, and it descends. and can descend pretty quickly. Let's look at that, some, some deteriorating conflict. I want to look at the, there's five stages of deteriorating conflict. So we'll look at that. Then we'll look at what really brings a bo- kind of conflict in an unhealthy way. Then we're going to look at what the Bible says on how to actually handle conflict. So it begins, it's kind of the early stage of conflict. There's not a lot of damage yet. Uh, it actually is. It can create a stronger relationship because the rally cry at this stage, is let's fix the problem. So this is kind of the healthy part. We're going to have conflict. You address it early on. It's kind of this good news opportunity that helps us to move from maybe superficiality to something a little more in-depth, more more uh, understanding, more intimacy. You're closer. Uh, you've expressed some of your fears, some of your frustrations, some of your hurts. And out of it, through this this uh, conflict, which can be scary. I mean, f- whenever we're in conflict, we don't know what the other end will be like, so it's scary. But it's there's a promise at the end. It's almost like, you know, like childbirth. You know, a, a, a woman gets pregnant and, and then she's giving birth, and and uh, there's pain, and she feels like she's going to die. I've been told. I don't know. <laughs> I, I bow out. I'm not on authority there, but but. At the other end of all of that is this promise of this incredible new little baby, and uh, and and it can be like that in conflict where it has a, a pro- it promises some big payoffs. Here's some things that would be characteristic of that stage: recognition that there is a problem. We don't know how we're going to solve it. We haven't even agreed how we're going to solve it. But we're not denying that there's not a problem. There's a commitment to solve it. There's also a sense of optimism, and there's some. Honest communication, I value you. You as a person have value, and there's still some openness, there's still honesty, but if it's not addressed, then it descends naturally to this next stage, which is the repositioning stage. In the repositioning, see, in the remedy stage, it was, let's fix the problem, but now it's, who caused the problem? So now we're starting to point fingers and, 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 and blame other people. It's just, you know, the, the characteristics, I want to protect myself. So I start to, you know, align myself. So I, there's anxiety. There's nervousness. There's defensiveness. We generalize our feelings. What I feel, I start to project that out. Well, everybody doesn't like you. You know, you're making everybody upset. And there's kind of suspicion uh, about, uh, you know, because trust is eroding. So there's suspicion about our motives and what we're saying, and if we don't address it there, it descends to this next phase or stage, which is the right stage. And in the right stage is, I'm right, so that means you're wrong. I'm right now, and and that's what happens. Is it just starts? It didn't start out that way, but now we've built up enough uh, offenses in our life and 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 hurt. I'm right, you're wrong, I'm the good person, which means you're the bad person. Uh, and people start taking sides. There's a focus that shifts from solutions to just winning. So there's sides. There's management, employees, there's old timers and new timers. In churches, there's the spiritual and the carnal. I don't know if you've ever been part of that. But it's, you know, in all of the pastors and the churches I've worked with where it's kind of gotten to the point where there's like this division happening and there's the spiritual and the carnal. Everybody always thinks they're on the the. nobody thinks they're on the carnal side. They're, I am on the spiritual side. I am praying for you that that God will show you the error of your ways, you carnal heathen. I mean, it's kind of like we just kind of descends down into the, where it's no longer we want to fix the problem. We need to fix you. You obviously are the problem. And uh, the problem is communication gets very, very distorted. You almost need now a third party, a mediator, an arbitrator to help. Uh, somebody skilled. You don't just go get Uncle Joe or the guy you work out with at the gym or something. No, you need somebody with some skill sets, comes in. But if it doesn't get resolved, it descends to the removal stage. And the removal stage is it's over. Let's, we're we're, we're out of here or you're out of here. Let's get rid of those people, you know. You know, it's kind of Attila the Hun. You know, heads are going to roll. Take no survivors. Somebody's got to go. Some of the characteristics are there's a clear leader rallying it. If it's a group of people, uh, a clear uh, clear goal. Just get rid of you. That's that's all I am interested in. Different camps, and trust is gone. This is where it falls into divorce and the friendship. Uh, quit the job. Get fired change churches and it comes from this now people change churches all the time but rarely do they say i changed churches because i got into conflict that was unresolved and now i'm just so angry i'm i'd like to start here you know it's just like well are you sure you know you want to come here for, but honestly that's how that's how most people actually change churches now they they don't say that right what they say is is you know I feel the leading of the Lord, you know. The Lord's leading me to leave this church and, or leave this marriage or leave this employment. It's, always, you know, it's often got the spiritual ring to it. You know, God's leading me and directing me, but it's really just, just conflict that wasn't resolved and descended into this really, really terrible place. And that's why we're talking about it because we can do better. God actually gives us and equips us to help us so it doesn't have to erode into this place where it just ends like that. And then, actually, there's there's another stage worse. You'd think that was bad enough, and it's the revenge stage. And then the revenge stage is, somebody's got to pay. I mean, it's not enough that it just ends, you know, employment. I don't want you to ever get another job again, certainly in that line of work. We, you know, we need ourselves a lamb. We need a sacrifice. Uh, you know, it's, I'm, it's not okay just for a resignation. You need to be publicly humiliated. This is kind of the revenge stage. Now, it's pretty popular the last two weeks, uh, this Johnny Depp and Amber Heard uh, defamation trial, right, that's in Virginia. So um, I probably shouldn't be listening to it, but I have. <laughs> it's like a car wreck, you know? Sharon's better than me. When we go drive by a car wreck, she goes, I'm praying for them. And I'm thinking, I'm just looking at who's, is there blood? I, oh, my goodness. What's going on? Is they going to die? Is anybody dead? And she's praying. Oh, bless them, Lord. You know? So that's not me, unfortunately. You got me today, you know? But so I'm listening to some of this stuff. And not. It's now. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's like this terrible marital argument that goes on and on that never ends. And they've recorded almost all of it. It's like, where did that come from? But, you know, and then I was thinking, I knew Alexa's recording my arguments, you know. <laughs> somewhere it's in a database, and it's going to come back to haunt me someday. <laughs> Even though the little light's off, you know, whenever Sharon and I are arguing, I'm glancing at the light, you know. I don't want to be recorded, but they were recorded. I think that they allowed themselves or something to be recorded. Anyways, when you're listening to it, it's like, if, you, if you've if you been in a relationship any length of time, it's like your your discussions, your arguments, it's nothing new. It's like, well, I've said that, you know, yeah, that's been said to me, and it hurts. And so when, when I'm listening, I'm thinking, well, it's kind of like two things come to my mind, because I've I've been married for 33 years, so that's a long time. I've had, which means there's a lot of arguments I've endured and been part of and contributed to. But, uh, but it also, as a pastor, I've also talked to a lot of people that have gone through that kind of stuff. And so I had two thoughts listening to all of these crazy arguments between Johnny and Amber. And that's A. That's why most people who would listen to that would say, that's why I got divorced. That's what happened to me, and that's why I got divorced. Or B, that's why I need Jesus. And I'm in that camp, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm like, without Jesus, it would, it would be a divorce, you know, because life is too hard. Love, does, love runs thin. It just runs out. Human love runs out, and patience, and all that stuff. And so with Christ, he helps me to get through uh, life and relationships and we can do it if we point ourselves to what God, uh, his instruction. So that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about. Uh, the revenge days, not satisfied with just removal, start plotting and planning. And you get so angry, you actually do dumb things. It's, it's really pretty amazing all the crazy things we'll do, people will do in this, this place of anger and hurt. They just go crazy in a marriage, in employment, All My dad... Uh, had a number of homes at one point and he would rent them out. One of the homes, uh, the guy didn't, they, he wouldn't pay. So he had to get them uh, forcibly removed. The last day that he was there, he was so angry at my dad and the, my dad just wanted his money for the rent, you know. The guy took a crowbar, smashed all the windows out of the house. So that's somewhat creative, but It doesn't stop there. Then he, at, with his own money that he could have used actually just to pay for his rent, he takes his, he hires a dump truck filled with manure, has it backed up to the big bay window at one of these homes that my dad owned, and that had now has, the window was bashed out, and dumps all the manure, and it fills his living room with manure, fresh manure. That's pretty creative, <laughs> you know, yeah you got to be thinking. You got to be thinking a little while on that one. What can I do? If you look in the Bible, you see the same kinds of stuff happening. Samson's a great example of that, right, Samson? He descended with the Philistines. He, you know, is down those stages of conflict and it got so bad. Samson got creative in his revenge. He caught 300 foxes. That sounds like a challenge, but he did it. 300 foxes. Ties them together in pairs by their tail, puts a a um, some kind of uh, you know stick or something to a torch, lights those 150 pairs of tails and sends these these foxes through the fields of the Philistines to burn up their their fields, all their crops. That's pretty creative, right? I mean, you wouldn't have probably thought of that. That's original tail lights, right? <laughs> I've been wanting to say that, so thank you. for in that same chapter, Judges 15, he gets the jawbone of a donkey. And it says he killed 1,000 Philistines. He probably took them a f- several days. You know, just with the jawbone of a donkey, of all things. Some lady says, uh, you know, I wonder if God still uses the jawbone of a donkey today. Another lady said, well, at my church, he uses one every Sunday morning. So that could be me. <laughs> could be me. Conflict causes all kinds of havoc. And it's not funny when it happens to you and you're caught up in it and it's painful. Here's some of the causes. Causes of conflict is just sometimes it's spiritual. And if you're if you're new in the faith or you're still learning how to hear from the Lord, this might be more challenging for you. You're wondering, well, how do I know if it's spiritual or not? But there, there's... There's things that are, are are indicators that it's that it's spiritual. It says we do not, we, we do live in the world, but we do not fight in the same way the world fights. We fight with weapons. But these are weapons that are different from what the world uses. Our weapons have power from God that can destroy the enemy's strong places. So there's strong places, places of bondage, places of of, uh, often found in, 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 in areas of resentment. We actually can give Satan a foothold in our life, the Bible says, through bitterness, through resentment, through unforgiveness. That's, and, and we have all the rationale. Well, they don't deserve it, and they don't. But the problem is it hurts us because it gives the enemy a foothold. He can get footholds, sexual footholds. He can get relational footholds. He can get all kinds of, of footholds in our lives, and they become a strong place. We destroy people's arguments and every proud thing that raises itself against the knowledge of God. We capture every thought and make it give up and obey Christ. So there's this power of Christ when we bring that into those relationships. Now you might be married to a non-believer. You might be in an employment situation where there's unbelievers. I mean, we live in the world. That's what he just said, right? We we live in the world, but it doesn't mean that your weapons don't work. That you still have spiritual weapons, and being and part of it is being aware, letting God give you discernment, eyes to see things differently. You know, when Cain, Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's kids, two of their kids, and Cain. Had a problem with God. He got angry at God, and he—you know how he dealt with that? He killed his brother. I mean, so sin kind of—you know—murders full-blown right out of the gate. You know, it's not like something that gradually came into the human race. And, but his, he never, he didn't have an issue with Abel. He had an issue with God. But that's what happens: is when we have an unsettled heart, we have things that are going on. The, there's a spiritual dimension to that. We're, we're not at peace with God. Satan starts to have his way. And sometimes we're not even aware of it. We just it wakes us up at night. We have insomnia. We have unforgiveness. We're, we're, our, our tongue is getting the best of us. We're saying things. We're real harsh. We're judgmental. All of those are indicators there's something going on spiritual in you and in that relationship. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rules and against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil In the heavenly realms, so there's a spiritual dimension, often, or sometimes certainly, in our conflict. Number two, is there's just divisive people. Some people, that's their thing. They just bring that in whatever they do. So that's a good news, bad news thing because it means that it's not as much you as it is them. Whatever they do, they can't. They're not good with the peaceful situations, places where there's harmony. They're always sowing strife. And they bring it with them. It's actually in their heart, the Bible says. But if you have bitter envying and strife, it says it's inside you. There's something going on in your very soul, in your heart. Glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For when envying and strife is, there is confusion in every... Other work. So this describes some of the relationships that we find ourselves in. It's there's confusion, there's there's divisiveness, there's it's just you know, bad stuff is happening there. It's rotten. Well, listen, that often is just the work of 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 a divisive person, and the devil's working at it too. You know, the devil he says it's devilish. God wants to, you to fulfill your purpose and to be in harmony in relationships. The devil wants the opposite of that. He, the, part of the reason why it's devilish and he wants to bring divisiveness in it causes you to veer off of accomplishing your purpose in life and creates disharmony in relationships. And that's what makes it devilish. I know Ferdinand Magellan, he's the first guy to circumvent the the globe back in 1519 uh, on the Victoria. He had 18 members. They returned in 1522. But there's actually five ships. One of the ships wrecked. And then through the storms and through going around the globe, they got so hungry at some points, they survived on eating sawdust, eating leather strips from the sails on the boat, and even eating rats, but he said out of all of that stuff, the worst of all by far was the divisive people on some of the boats that were always trying to mutiny. You see, there's going to be divisive people in every generation. I mean, even there's Christians that they're just, I mean, it might be, I guess it's their spiritual gift is bringing strife. You know, I don't know. They're going to go to heaven and they're going to try to create a split in heaven. You know, they're going to see streets of gold. and they're gonna, There's dust, though. Look, I mean, they, they have a knack at bringing that. Then three is, is hurting people. We talk about that, right? Hurting people often hurt people. They bring that pain into other relationships. And we see a number of characters in the Bible. Cain, was, we just talked about him. Sarah, Joseph, Moses, Esau, Ahab, Samson, we talked about him. People that have pain in their life. Saul in the New Testament, they bring that in. Saul in the Old Testament, there's, in fact, most, I mean, who doesn't have some amount of pain? So some, if it's, but if it's so much and you haven't dealt with it, you, it becomes destructive. So you have to ask yourself, am I dealing with a wounded warrior? Is that what's going on here? They have so much pain. Now, listen, if somebody is reacting out of the pain in their life, that doesn't justify it. It doesn't make it right. It just helps you to understand more. And sometimes in understanding, we can be more patient, we can, res- we can help dial it down, we can offer something that actually helps bring uh, some resolve there. Then there's political people, people that want power, they want, uh, they want leverage over people, they're looking for influence. Uh, but here's the problem is, is that the kind of leadership that God calls us to have is where we serve. The people that are political people, they usually don't last very long in our church because for us, if you're in leadership, you're expected to serve others. And that's not, there's not a lot of glory in that. And so they want the exact opposite. They're looking for who can I be over, who can I boss around, who can I influence my, you know, you know, exercise my, you know, my, my power over. And so Jesus actually said, I love it when he says, don't lead as those in the world lead, but let my leader act the part of the servant. We are to be servants. That's how we lead. Have you ever thought of why Jesus brought so many fishermen in? I mean, you know, the 12 disciples, a number of them were fishermen. You'd think he'd be going to find, you know, people who have PhDs and are, you know, doing all kinds of, you know, these things that, In the world, hey, those are big accolades. But he finds fishermen. I think the reason why fishermen, you know, fishermen, I think, had a very, they had the easiest transition into the kind of leadership that Jesus was looking for. Why? Because they do a lot of their work that goes unnoticed. They're persistent, and most of their work goes to feeding others. That's what it means to be a leader in God's kingdom. And so it was an easy transition for them. So you had political people. Then you have just, sometimes it's just poor leadership. We personally just do a poor job in the midst of the conflict. And we just got to own up to that when that's the case. Everybody has a plan to fix something, but it takes a leader of real understanding to straighten things out. The truth is, you could be the problem. I could be the problem. You know, we don't get good counsel. We make bad decisions, and then we end up in a lot of trouble. Here's some ways that we lead that can be problematic. Failure to acknowledge the problem. This kind of this Pollyanna view that everything's okay and no matter what happens, we put a positive spin on it. We're not really willing to acknowledge that there's a problem or we just withdraw. Hear no evil, see no evil. You know, I don't want to pry into, you know, this. I don't want to dig deeper. Or we ignore the the, significant, make it less significant. Like, oh, it's not that important. Or this too will pass. Sometimes peacemakers and enablers, that's what they fall into. They're, 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 it's keep the peace at all costs, and we end up burying feelings that needed to really find a place to um, uh, uh, be expressed. And then spiritualizing it, just pray. All we need to do is pray. Well, prayer is important. Don't get me wrong. Prayer is very important. Prayer is the bedrock. We, we, we By the way, we pray here corporately in our church every Saturday morning from 9 to 10. Uh, and we had to stop it during COVID for a while, but I, I, it's, one of, it is, it's really the highlight of my, of, of my week. I love coming here to pray, to join with other believers. Some incred- I believe everything that happens, happens c- from that. But that being said, there's more than just prayer. As important as prayer is, there's, Matthew 18, for example, is Jesus, one of Jesus' key texts on how to handle conflict. Matthew 18, specifically in verses 15 through 17. And in there, when he's talking about how to handle conflict, not once does he even say to pray. So I'm not saying prayer is not important. I'm just saying it's, you don't want to over-spiritualize it. There are some things that we need to do other than prayer, not instead of prayer, but other than prayer. And then keeping score, people tallying, you know, keeping score, logging offenses instead of forgiving offenses, blaming somebody else for the conflict. Your former boss, your ex, your mate, the government. I mean, the list goes on on who we can blame. There's always somebody that you can blame and pass the buck. But when you blame, you're just being lame. You've heard me say that before. (laughs) Desire to win at any cost. Kind of the gladiator mindset. You know, this win-lose approach. Win-lose approach. They talk about this in business sometimes. Win-lose. Well, listen, win-lose might work in business, but that is a terrible way to handle your relationships because, for example, in a marriage, you're either both winning or you're both losing. There is no win-lose. It's a dumb question to say, who's winning in this marriage? Uh, that, that, that question alone is a concern. So be careful of that. Giving in to evade conflict, trying to meet selfish demands, some people will be so selfish they will try to leverage uh, and threaten with ultimatums. If you don't do this, then I'll divorce you. If you don't do this, I'm going to quit. If you don't do this, I'm going to destroy this. And they they try to they try to operate that way. You can't resolve all of that. You you can only re, you can only be responsible for yourself. But you want to make sure that you do your part. It's so easy to just leave. You know, you're so, so-and-so's in relationship A. They get frustrated. There's conflict. And they just say, well, I'm going to end that and go to relationship B and, ho- and get a fresh start. Well, my question is, if, if whenever we do that, where in that process did we get good at working through conflict? We didn't, right? He says, oh, yeah, too much conflict, too much pain. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm going to end that. Start this. You're bringing the same person to the, with the same problems to that poor B. You know, the, you know, B wants a better you to show up, and so you work through that. You work through that so that when you get to B, you can handle it and be a better contributor to uh, being constructive in your in your conflict. Well, let's look at that. Now, some, here's the Bible says it gives us four things to do. Number one is. Look at it from God's perspective. See, a big part of Jesus' mission, Jesus came to this earth so that he could help us through conflict. When we are upset and we're angry and hostile, here's the way the Bible says it, for he, for Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And so th- the power of Christ can come in, destroy that, that wall of hostility, the thing that just erects in our lives. And, and, and some of it, it's out of our control, or at least it feels that way because we're reacting to so much pain and mistrust and so many things in our life. So the first thing is, is the perspective changes. Hey, God, I want to see this from your perspective. Then examine ourselves. Nobody can do this for you. You have to do it yourself and you examine yourself. You know, King David, as I mentioned just a moment ago, that he had a lot of pain in his life. He caused a lot of pain in his life. But one of the things that is amazing about him, he wrote most of the Psalms, and if you read the Psalms, you see he was ruthless with examining himself. Even He didn't have to do that. He could have blamed it on everybody else. Well, it's Saul's problem. Oh, it's Bathsheba. It's this person. It's that. No, look at what he says. God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me. What a great prayer. What a great prayer. My my hope and my prayer for you is that you would pray this prayer. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that you that that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious cares. Sometimes that's really what's going on. And we're never gonna get the kind of resolve and the harmony and the peace in our relationships if we don't. Allow God to come in and spotlight some of those ang- that's those, anxiety that's going on in our lives. See if there's any path of pain I'm walking on. So David was willing to do that. And he grew. We see in his life, he grew in that area. Now, the, the kind of the rule of conflict identification is, is if Bill has a problem with Jasmine, and if Bill has a problem with Sebastian, and Bill has a problem with Tara, and Bill has a problem with Miguel, and Bill has a problem with Susan, do you notice a trend? The problem is Bill needs to examine himself. There's something going on there, and there's some people, they make conflict everywhere they go. You know, you start talking to them, and yeah, I've got conflict here. I've got conflict there. Yeah, I used to get along with this person. Yeah, not so much anymore. Yeah, this, uh, yeah well, that happened. And now this is, now, and you just, you just hear, it and there's conflict that arises everywhere they go. And so we examine ourselves. We're ruthless about it. Deal immediately with misunderstandings. There, it, time is of the essence. This deterioration that I described up front can happen rapidly. In fact, you can pop up at like stage number three if you suppress it. If you, if you don't deal with it, next thing you know, you're going, wait a minute, I skipped two. That's no fair. Well, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be fair. It's just you find yourself in a descending mess in your relationship. It says, don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. Don't let anger control you or be fuel for revenge not even a day. It says, jump right on it. Nip it in the bud. It's a spiraling thing that descends quickly if you're not careful. And so you make time of, of the essence. And then number four is follow God's method. There is a scriptural method. There is a way that God tells us to handle conflict. And it's not easy. If it was easy, other people would do it. In fact, I know many believers that don't do it because it's not easy. The first thing we do when we have conflict is we go privately to the person. We go, and preferably in person. In person. privately in person, says discuss the matter with him privately. Don't let, don't tell anyone else. Now, let's be honest. This is not what we do. We tell everybody else. Then when we have nobody else to tell, well, I might as well go to that person who I'm upset at. And then we bring all of this confusion with us. It's not the best way to handle it. Because even if you resolve it, you go through some kind of cathartic emotional thing and you resolve it, not, those other people weren't part of that. They're still thinking you're a jerk. You know, they're still thinking, you know, you're at fault. And you can go back and report the facts. They weren't part of the cathartic healing. So now, that's what he's talking about when we sin and just sow that into all of those other relationships. And then we wonder why everything's a mess. And so you go privately. Let me add, don't, use, don't, don't try to confront somebody through text or an email it makes a mess, and I know pastors and church leaders of denominations that try to resolve things, and I don't know any success stories on those, by the way, but I know a lot of trauma, a lot of problems, and they all have their reasons why they're only going to try to resolve it through email, but if it's important enough, you should preferably see somebody face-to-face, you know, if, if at all possible. Then I told you about Matthew 18. That's that key text that Jesus gives about conflict resolution, which you'll want to read on your own later. But he says here, but if he will not listen to you, this is after you've met with somebody privately. In most cases, it is resolved, but sometimes it's not. He goes, well, what if it's not? Then you take one or two others with you so that everything is said may have the support of two or three witnesses. He's talking about. You know, mediators, arbitrators, we talked about that. Not bringing Uncle Joe and the guy from the gym. uh, But, you know, people that can really bring something to help resolve that. But sometimes even that is not enough for the things we talked about earlier. There's political people, there's divisive people, there's all those kinds of things. So it could possibly dissolve the relationship. Can two walk together, except they be agreed? God wants your relationships to be whole. He wants them to be healthy. He wants harmony in your relationship. He doesn't want it to spiral out of control like that. How, do, how does that happen? Well, we looked at what the Bible says. But your first step, we always have a first step, right? Your, our first step today is to surrender to Christ. To say, God, because sometimes it's our attitude. Now, you might already be a believer. You go, well, I've done that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold off. Have you surrendered your attitude? You got a chip on your shoulder? You think you're the good person? You're the spiritual person? You know, you, you didn't do anything wrong. That's, that's not the starting place. The starting place, your first step, is to do what David did. Search me, oh God. See if there's anything in me that I contributed to this, that I need to resolve that I don't need to be bringing to relationship B and relationship C. So you surrender. That's what it means to surrender to Christ. Certainly it means inviting Christ into your life. But surrendering to Christ means I surrender my my words. Because words can inflame something. They can also calm something down. Words are like, you know, there's a conflict, it's like a fire. Words can be like gasoline or water. And submitting surrendering our words to Christ means with God's help I want to be water and even though I know the right, I can push a button I can say something that cuts them more hard they deserve it, they have it coming, somebody's got to wise them up I mean, all the things we think in our mind we kind of, surrender means okay that's not my battle I want to follow what Christ has me do I'm going to be an encourager I'm going to be somebody who breathes hope. I'm going to be somebody who continues to bring grace and love. I'm not saying be a doormat and let somebody take advantage of you. I am saying, though, that you let God defend you. You start to do it God's way like we talked about. You say, hey, God, with your help, I want to start doing things differently. I, I don't want my relationships to have so much trauma, so much pain. There is hope, no matter where you're at. Some of you might think, "Hey, it's hopeless." Well, miracles come in all forms. God heals physically. I've been healed a number of times over my lifetime. I've prayed for people that have, and I've seen people get healed. Physical healing is incredible, but you know what? To me, just as incredible is relational healing, emotional healing, and just in, God does all kinds of things that we're told by experts it's over. And we tell ourselves, and we're probably the best expert of all, right? If anybody would know if a relationship's over, it's gonna be us. Oh, yeah? And God can bring new life. He can bring healing, certainly. Let's start there. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? You know, I think the Lord wants to say to you, Especially if you're here and you're real tender. You're real vulnerable. God wants to say to you, you are precious to me. I believe God wants to say that to you. You are precious to me. You're valuable, but you're precious. Almost like One of those little glass figures, where like, if you're not careful, something's going to break off. In fact, it could smash. And God knows that that you're in a very, very, very tender place in your life. He comes in delicately, lovingly, to bring, bring healing, bring comforting. Our role is to kind of put our defenses down. I mean, if you can't trust the Lord, if you can't trust God, his kindness, he's the one who created you. He created you so that he could have a family and that he could love you and that you could love him back. He, he That's why it always starts there. But if you can't trust God, how are you going to trust God's plan for you and what he has for you? Just like trust is the foundation of a relationship, it's also the trust is the foundation of a relationship with God. So I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer of trust. Right now, right where you're at, if you're online, you can pray with me as well. To say, God, I'm really hurting right now. So I ask you to touch my heart. Let me feel your love and your grace. say, God, give me forgiveness that's beyond myself because I can't do it on my own. I've tried that. you say, God, help me to be less selfish and more supportive. Help me to be less prideful and more humble. Help me to criticize less and compliment more that I open my life up to you. Would you pray that? Say, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. To forgive me. And then, would you say, I give you, God, permission to lead me. Would you invite his presence into your life? Say, God, your spirit, your presence... I invite you to come and strengthen me and encourage me. Give me hope. or do a miracle in my life. That's a courageous prayer. Say, God, do a miracle in my life because I know you want what's best for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you prayed uh, along with me, I'm so thankful for that. I've been praying for you as well as Uh, The people in our church, I mentioned earlier that we pray on Saturday morning.